Hi, this is Michael Shapiro, and this is the Delacorte Review Podcast, where we talk about real true stories and how they happen. Family stories are supposed to be easy to tell. After all, it's not as if you have to identify the right strangers and get them to talk. But then the reporting starts, and a writer will discover that what looked to be so accessible, so easy, so known, is anything but. Today, I'll be talking with Diego Corche, who went in search of his father's story, which meant going in search of his father, which is a story that one way or another so many writers since Homer find themselves needing and struggling to tell. You had not seen your father in how long before you went to visit him? Um, last, I mean, I saw him this summer. When I saw him uh, last summer in the course of writing this, it must have been perhaps a year and a half. Really? Since you had seen him. And how, how often had you spoken to him in that year and a half? Um, there was a long period in which I didn't talk to him. Um, I wouldn't be sure, 10 months maybe. When you set off on the story, I know we talked about it a lot. What were you, what was the question that you were carrying with you that set your journey in motion? Well, the the question, I suppose, evolves. Part of it, of course, is uh, simply a why. And that why sometimes was facing, uh, a silence, uh, an ignorance on my part of where I was coming from on that side of the family, on that side of a national identity, which I've scarcely inhabited, and on the other side, a more personal why, um, why he took certain decisions in his life and why there was always this obsession with a time that for me in school would seem very far away, but which was very close when I was with him because this wasn't history, this was his life. When you went to see him, just to put this in context, he your father has married how many times? Uh, he's been married three times. He tried a fourth time, but his friend, they're still friends, told him, like, let's not go down that road again. And you are his only child, right? That I know of, yeah. No, I am. I always make that joke, but yes, he's told me that I am. And while your father has put many things in his life and you know, aside, nonetheless, when you went to his house, you discovered that he had kept a lot of things in the time that he was a pupil of the nation. I mean, it was something that was always in the background. It was a constant reference. I think that anyone who spends time with someone who lived uh, such a difficult time will either be aware of a silence or of fragmented references that that are cyclical or, or obsessive. So I always knew that. And I would always see him at that times more and more over the years uh, plunging back into history, making reference to things. And when I got there, this summer, I had an intention, but it had been happening all life long. In the course of doing the story, how do you even begin to get your arms around so much material? Well, I suppose that there were images that had been there for a long time, waiting, and one of the 
motivations when we started talking was trying to, you know, put the dots together, stray images, stray impressions, a certain tone of voice when speaking of certain things, when singing certain songs. And so that, that was, those were my guiding stars in a pretty dark night. And then the manner of doing it is just talking over and over and over. Talking, of course, having seen hours of documentaries, of foot reels, uh, propaganda reels from that time, reading a lot of books, having conversations, and, and then just talking. So just to stay on that for a moment, before you even made the journey to see your father, you had begun to do an enormous amount of research, right? You were just what you were describing. What were, did you have a sense of what you were looking for, or were you just letting this material just come to you and just almost wash over you? I mean, I think it was hard for me not to have a sense when I grew up um, with this in the background, like an echo mostly, but definitely there. So it was, I did discover many things, but it almost felt like recognizing others, recognizing songs I'd heard and understanding what I meant, recognizing in actual moments in the propaganda reels that had been described to me and mixing these more historical elements little by little using them as a context to understand scenes that I could not comprehend before I had this context. And yeah, at a certain point, letting it watch, wash over me. And when it does that, it does leave a sediment, and that sediment usually matched what little I knew. I knew where the holes were in the story, historically, or what didn't make sense in the way that I had built the story in my mind in a very fragmented way from fragmenting conversations. And then I knew, I knew what, I, what was missing, the pathways that, that I needed to talk about to understand the logic behind all this and, and how the events followed each other. It's, I'm struck by the use of the word fragment because I remember something that you had mentioned to me once, that the process of reporting something like this, researching a story such as this, is, a, is akin to picking up I don't remember if it was seashells or rocks, picking one up at a time, or shards, I think that was the word you used, and picking them up, turning it over, looking at it, putting it down, picking up another one. Was that that metaphor applied to what you were doing in this story? Uh, to a certain point, but again, this is not a story that I could ever come uh, being fully ignorant. In, rather, imagine a puzzle that is full of, of holes and missing parts. And you know some parts will not show up because they're they're uh, forever lost. But there is at least a frame. There is, and there is an intention and there's a necessity which you don't necessarily have in all stories. One of the things that was, I remember talking about it with you before you went to see your father, was in a way, as complicated as the story is, it's actually a very simple one that the frame of it is actually simple. Um, it's a son in search of a father, Telemachus and Ulysses, and how hard it was for you to say, could it really be that simple? Do you remember? You remember? I mean, it's curious because when you say that you're framing it, putting me in that position, rather, 
I think what is curious is that I discovered that it's not necessarily me who's enacting that, although my editor said that it is, but that's actually the story I was writing, not just about me, about this pupil of the nation, this boy deprived of a father who looks for father figures and in a moment of extreme ideologies and of an absolute lack of references in a country that's falling apart in a family that is itself uh, coming apart of the seams, that finds this purpose in this paternalistic authoritarian leader that is Pétain. And when it's not Pétain, it will be someone else all along the story. But it's what happens when there's the absence of a father, of a leader, of a meaning, of a purpose, and the things you fill it with, and the betrayals that happen when that choice of a father turns out to be uh, a historical aberration. What what went wrong? What were the things in the course of doing the story with the hurdles that you found that you had to overcome? I mean, I suppose the main hurdle is that it's it's hard to report something that is um, quite personal, and it's hard to to erase the versions that you already have in your mind, which are informed again by very fragmented views. It's it's hard to to speak to someone you know very well and to to finally manage to extract certain things that um, that have been avoided on both parts, I suppose. What made it hard? Well, what's hard is when something is as essential as the war was to my father, you sort of, he sort of put it into his identity and had created a narrative that he didn't necessarily I'm not, not even question, but think about anymore. Just something happened there and bits and pieces of it came to the surface once in a while, but he didn't touch it beyond the usual suspects that came up in his life or in his uh, train of thought. And so going beyond that and something that he said himself after we were talking for a whole month every night, uh, I think he had never done that, that spending up, putting it together, forcing his memory to go back, forcing himself to sometimes even almost reenact these things. That was that was hard for him and for me. But I think it was also a shared experience I'm very grateful for. And and I think we we got there in the end. Was he resistant in any ways to questions that you asked? No, he wasn't resistant but he could be visceral. In what sense? What do you mean visceral? Maybe, you know, when something has been buried for so long, maybe you go back to the same patch of earth. Uh, you know, there, there's, a, there's some places where the crust is, is pretty thick, but there's others that you haven't, you have, you've barely touched. And at moments, he, for, it was, it was something, um, a bit painful for him. I mean, it, it bubbled up to the surface. There's things that would still, and this was, I mean, this is 1940, 1942, 1943. This was 
more than a lifetime ago and still the the emotion could be overwhelming for him and it would bubble to a surface because there's things that you can't solve there's things that you can't convey uh, explain or justify because it happened to a child and no matter how much the adult learns there will always be this visceral sense of betrayal that overwhelms any logic or studies or whatever may come afterwards. Were there moments when you realized that you may have opened up a wound and, re and re both regretted asking the question, but as a journalist saying, I needed to do that? No, I don't think I regretted it. And I think in the end, neither did he. I think there's just, there is something that it was, that we both had to make a very large effort because there's an abyss, a generational abyss, an abyss of the world that we've both experienced. I was born when my father was 55. I've grown up in an, mostly in an, on another continent than where my father has spent his life. And so there's things I can't understand because I was never a boy starving in Marseille and I was never uh, the son of a military family discovering all the, the horrors that, uh, that are linked to an ideology that was, that was prevalent in the family. And, and he can't untie certain knots that, that come from that. You had tried to write about this once before, and your father made clear that you had, in his view, had failed. Yes, uh, it was curious. I was in a bus trip here in Mexico. I didn't put this in the story, but curiously enough, next to me was a young French woman. And for some reason, despite the fact we were on vacations, we ended up talking about the war. Turns out her grandfather was a war hero who had been part of the resistance against uh, Pétain against the, the German, German occupation. And yeah, during a mission, he had, he had been hurt. And anyway, the sort of story that you want to tell when you're asked what was your family's role in the war. And in my case, I wasn't quite sure, but I did know there was something ambiguous. I did know there was, I mean, to say the least, an ambivalence, if not at least some characters that I didn't know uh, if they were uncles, distant cousins, etc., that had at some point uh, collaborated with the Germans or that for some reason had been run into some trouble uh, by the end of the war. And so I did try to write a version in Spanish some years ago, maybe around 2011, 2012, but I was, I was clutching in the dark and I was nowhere near the truth. But what was brilliant about this failure is that it made me realize and made him realize in his anger that, I mean, unless he talked to me and unless I learned how to ask, all I could produce was that, a very incomplete, imperfect story where maybe the characters were parodies and I couldn't understand the ambiguity of the times and and that's also maybe where I discovered how painful that time was for him. I think 
a lot of writers, given a situation where there's somebody in their family, somebody as close as a father or a mother, who they want to talk with about the past, would shy away from that because I'm putting too much burden on them. It's going to call, drive a wedge between us. But everything you're describing sounds as if at the end of this journey that you take, you grow closer to your father. Is that fair? Well, I think that... Uh, actually, I think this was possible, this conversation, writing about this, him talking about this, was possible because we had already gotten closer in a way, relatively speaking, not geographically. But we couldn't have had this conversation if I hadn't certainly had an interest in understanding where I came from because it wasn't necessarily something I was uh, very interested in or willing to explore. I mean, I lived in another country with another nationality and it wasn't some, and he probably felt it wasn't something that he could share with me or, you know, some things are best left bare buried or it just, it's not something he could pass on because there was such a, an abyss of time and in a sense until we grew closer and I could show an interest and he could have an interest in in explaining something that maybe he thought was too foreign to me and until then I don't think we could have had this conversation once we met maybe around that large table there was already that basis and then it was just Trusting that we were both stubborn enough to to talk until the, the words started meaning something. This has been the Delacorte Review Podcast. Our producer is Katie Ferguson, and the theme music that you've been hearing is by Jim Okar. The Delacorte Review appears three times a year, winter, spring, and fall. Issue number one, five very different stories on the theme of home, is now available online at www.delacortereview that's one word and delacort is spelled D-E-L-A-C-O-R-T-E review.org where we publish a new story every week or if you want to read all the stories at once it's also available as an ebook. the reviews editor is Mike Hoyt senior editor is Sissy Falikant associate editor is Abigail Covington and Natasha Rodriguez our illustrations are by the wonderful Eleanor Hamelin 